0: So Genesis chapter 28, if you're physically able, I would invite you, if you would, to stand as we read the Word of God together. I'm going to uh, pick up in verse 10. And if you have just now joined us, maybe you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, um, everything's gone bad in Jacob's life, uh, and he's had to leave his home because of the murderous threat of his brother. So he's on his own. He's trying to get to his uncle's house, which is about a 500-mile journey. He's gone about 50 miles of it. So uh, picking up in verse 10, this is what the Word says. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down on that place, in that place, to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven." And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but but the name of the city was Luz at at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. I want to make the case this morning that there is. Grace in brokenness. I want to say that again. I believe there is grace in brokenness. Now, no one, and I mean absolutely no one, desires to be broken. No one wants to suffer the consequences of sin. Um, And and, and if, if we had our desires, I mean, if we just had what we wanted, we would skip through life without consequences and everything would be great always be enough money in your bank account the kids would always be behaving your 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 marriage would be perfect your job you'd always be getting uh, advances and just life would be easy and simple no consequences everything would work out great for you however I believe that if you received that that's the way your life turned out that would in fact be the worst judgment of all A testimony of a parent's love is not the number of the gifts that they give their children. A testimony of a parent's love is their willingness and engagement of their discipline. The Bible says that only illegitimate children are not disciplined by their father. So a testimony of love of a loving father is a father who is willing and engaged to discipline his children. In this passage, Jacob is broken. He had succeeded in his schemes against his father and his brother of getting the the blessing that he wanted from his father. So in that sense, he had gotten what he wanted. But as he got everything he wanted, he had lost everything that he had hoped for. So what he thought was he was going to add his father's blessing onto all of the things that were already his, his home and and the wealth that he had grown up in. And yet, we find him now, not as a favored son receiving his father's wealth and blessing, but we find him fleeing his household. We don't see him becoming the leader of his family, we see him alone sleeping on a pillow made out of a rock. If you don't get anything else out of this passage, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to realize that's not a comfortable place to be. He's alone and destitute. He has no home. He has no family. He's uncertain about his future, and he is, uh, he is likely fearful in this moment that everything he wanted, everything he hoped for, is lost. I do not think it is coincidence that God has not spoken directly to Jacob until now. Jacob had grown up in a family of people who had heard from God. Just listen, just think about this for a minute. God had spoken directly to his granddaddy, Abraham. God had spoken directly to his father, Isaac. God had spoken directly to his mother, Rebekah, with the declaration that Jacob would be blessed and that Esau would serve Jacob. But Scripture gives us no testimony up until this moment that Jacob had ever heard directly from God. He'd grown up in a household where everybody around him had talked about their their experiences. Now, don't you know if you had heard directly from God, you'd tell that story a lot? Yes, yes. Well, you know that one time God spoke to me, that'd be how I'd start every story that I'd tell. And I'm imagining in Jacob's family, because so many had heard from the Lord, that must have been a common theme. God spoke to your grandfather Abraham, God spoke to your father, Isaac, God spoke to your mother, Rebekah. But God had not yet spoken to Isaac to Jacob. Even though God had declared that Jacob would be the son to receive and to carry the promise and blessing that he had made to Abraham, God had never spoken directly to Jacob about this blessing. Jacob, at this point in his life, has received two blessings from his father. The first was by trickery. He tricked his father. He lied to his father to get the blessing that he wanted, that God had already promised him, but he got it by trickery. The, this, and, and that blessing was focused on worldly things. So success and prosperity in this world. The second blessing that he got from his father was when he was preparing to leave and this was after Isaac had surrendered to the will of God and that blessing was much more focused and much more connected to the original blessing that God had given to Abraham. But Jacob had not yet heard directly from the Lord. Is this where you are today? I suspect some of you are. Are you struggling under the weight and brokenness of your sin? Now, I don't mean you're not catching and fetching. I don't mean that you're not working hard, but is the consequence, is the brokenness of your sin weighing heavy on you? Have you gotten what you were striving for and yet feel like you've lost everything that you were hoping for? Are you struggling under the weight and brokenness of your sin? Have you heard other people speak about the grace of God and the promises of God and the goodness of God, but wondering if that grace and those promises apply to you? Friends, Jacob's life is far from perfect. As I preach this passage today, those of you who are, are are keen listeners, you'll you'll notice that out of this passage I'm going to speak almost very I'm going to speak very little about the second half where where Jacob responds with a with a covenant and worship, in part because it's not a very good example of how to respond to the Lord. He's trying to bargain with God after God gave him this great blessing. We're going to spend most of our time this morning looking at what God says to Jacob. Jacob's life is far from perfect. But in this moment, he would hear from the Lord and be encouraged by God's promises to him. God's precious promises to him. And so this morning, I hope you're encouraged by this passage. And I want to encourage you in these ways. Number one, I want you to hear what Jacob heard. And that is you are not alone. I don't care who you are. I don't care what what you are or where you are, what you have done, you are not alone today. God is present and God is working. Secondly, God's provisions and promises are sure. So when God makes a promise, it's not if he'll keep it. The promises of God are only, the only question there is when will he fulfill it? But all the promises and provisions of God are sure. And then lastly, I want you to hear a good word especially if things in your life are spinning out of control and that is that no matter what and no matter where you are no matter what's happened to you or happening to you god is always in control he is in control of your life He is in control of this world he is sovereign and in control but let's begin with you are not alone so here's the scene you heard it in the passage Jacob leaves his family because his brother is threatening to murder him and it's not an idle threat it's a real threat and his mom uh, schemes again to get him to leave and he's actually on his way to his uncle's house and you would think that would be a positive thing but it'll turn out not to be all that positive because his uncle is as big a schemer as Jacob is and Jacob will, will, will go there and have to work as a laborer in his uncle's house but but, but all that's in the future. Imagine Jacob is a, is a, is a young man in, in his 20s, likely, who had lived a rather sheltered life and a life of privilege and wealth for his day. And now all of a sudden, he's been pushed out of his comfortable home, pushed out of a, a home where he had servants and deferential treatment. He was the, the son of the, of, the, of, the, of the head of the, of the family and, and, the, and the one who was going to receive the blessing for that matter. And so um, he had certainly grown up in a home where he had received deferential treatment and now he is traveling to a future that he doesn't know. He's leaving a home that he may not ever return to and he's lonesome, he's probably poor, um, and he's afraid we don't know some of these details we're having to pick up from the passage just to infer from the package, passage but the reason why he doesn't go into the town he sleeps out in the in the the, the wilderness if you will or out in the open is he may be afraid of the people in the town um, we, we're pretty sure he doesn't have much because when he gets to his uncle's house he didn't have anything to offer but but his labor so he's poor he's lonesome and he is afraid and he spends the night sleeping on a pillow I don't know about what what flows across your TV screen but across my TV screen I get a lot of commercials for pillows and every pillow is promising that if you'll buy that pillow you'll have the best night's sleep ever and here's the crazy thing we buy those things don't we because that promise of the best night's sleep ever is a pretty alluring promise to us now I don't know how good a rock can be but i'm pretty sure it wasn't a very good sleep that night but two things we know happened number one he slept and number two as he slept god gave him a vision so god spoke to him in his dream and it's a bit of a strange vision that he has the bible says that there was a ladder now that's an interesting word there's only used this one time in scripture And it probably means a staircase or a stairwell. But the King James uh, interpreted this as ladder. And that's such an influential translation. Most of your translations probably use that as a ladder too. But that's neither here nor there. That the imagery is that there was a connection resting on the earth, reaching all the way to heaven. And angels or the messengers of God were ascending and descending the the ladder or the stairwell, the staircase, and God was above it all. And this is the point. I mean, this is a major but simple point and that is that God was present right there in the middle of nowhere with Jacob. Heaven was near, and God was near. Jacob had traveled about 50 miles on a 500-mile journey. He was alone, he was scared, he was uncertain about his future, and God gives him this vision of a ladder. And, and, and the reason why God gives him this vision is he wanted him to understand that even though he felt lonesome, even though he felt isolated, even though he felt separated from all that he had ever known, God was present even in the wilderness. The image of a ladder or a stairway demonstrates a close connection. So it's a connection. It connected heaven and earth. It demonstrated that heaven was near and that God was near that the messengers of God were actively working ascending and descending and all around we we intuitively understand that there is something powerful and comforting about presence back in 2020 uh, I spent a week in the hospital with uh, with symptoms from COVID-19 and um, out of all the things that I experienced with that, and some of them were rather unpleasant, the thing that I remember the most that was the most unpleasant and unsettling experience was not the physical um, uh, issues, it was the lo- loneliness. When you got In those days when you got put in the hospital, um, family couldn't come see you. And even the, the medical staff there in the hospital would only come in the room when they had to because they, they had to garb up and put on all this stuff. And so um, it, was, uh, it was complicated for them to come in the room and leave the room, and so I was alone most of the day. That had a dramatic effect on my heart and my experience. Um, Some of you who work for some of our church members who work for the hospital would come up and visit me And those visits were more precious than anything else I received. Oh, they were good I didn't care what we talked about. I didn't care if they brought me anything or took anything away I just wanted to talk to somebody that I knew and that knew me. You know why because they were present with me Ministered to me greatly We We get that don't we there's something about being in the presence we we've gone through this since the, the pandemic all this rise of Um, uh, connecting with each other through uh, uh, teleconferencing and those sort of things. Those are great tools to use, but one of the things we've clearly come to understand that those things are nice, but they do not take the place of being in the room with somebody. There's something powerful about presence. So so notice that when God says in verse 15, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, what God is saying to Jacob is, brother, you may feel like you're lonely. You may feel like you're isolated. You may feel like you're separated from your family and not yet connected to your uncle. You may feel like you're lost and alone and forgotten. But wherever you are, I am with you. And wherever you go, I am with you. Dear friends, hear and receive this good word. No matter what you have done, no matter where you are, no matter the consequences you are suffering, the living God is near. Oh, that's a good word. Not only is God near, but God is actively working. So the image of the ladder or staircase was not limited to a static connection, but it also demonstrated activity. So it wasn't just the old, the old country song of I got Jesus on the line. No, there's, not, there's more to this. There was activity. There was movement up and down the, the, the ladder. In verse 12, it tells us that the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. God also declares that what he is and will going to do so in verse 13 he says I will give the land in verse 14 he says your offspring shall be many in verse 15 he says I will keep you I will bring you back I will not leave you I will accomplish what I have promised All of those things were communicating with the image of the angels coming up and down the ladder. All of this is a declaration to Jacob that though there is little evidence or details in his life that God is actively working, God wants Jacob to know, listen dear friends, you may not be able to see it, but brother, I'm working and I will continue to work until I perfectly accomplish my will. In moments of failure, it's hard to see how God is working. In moments of consequence, it's hard to see what God is up to. In moments of stress, it's hard to see how God is providing. In moments of uncertainty, it's hard to see how God is going to work it out. As an act of grace in this very low moment in Jacob's life, God gives a vision to encourage him that God was still working to bring about his perfect will. Dear friends, listen to me carefully on this. God is keeping his promises. God will accomplish his will. God has not and will not abandon you. God is still working. He's present. He's working. You are not alone. I want you to see something else here, and that is that God's provisions are sure. So in this vision, God first gives this wonderful image of the, the, or the stairway or the ladder and, and God above it and the angels coming up and down. But, but notice what God says after that. In verse 13, God repeats the promise that he had first spoken to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. And listen to what he says, in verse 13 he says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, uh, your father, and the uh, God, of, God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. So in other words, I'm the same God who promised to your grandfather, Abraham, to your father, Isaac, the same God that's promising you now. And he says, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. When God made this original promise to Abraham, he promised Abraham to give him a land, to make him a father of many nations, and to bless all the families of the earth. Through him so when God speaks again this promise to Jacob he makes a couple of declarations and, and these things are encouraging to note. the first is that God owns all things so presently Jacob had gone from riches to rags that's the wrong direction isn't it we like rags to riches story but Jacob had gone from riches to rags. He had grown up the son of a wealthy man. He had enjoyed the pleasures, the comforts, the niceties of his father's wealth. He had, he had grown up around a large family with likely many servants. But now he sleeps alone, he's out in the open, he has no pillow, and he has no wealth. Jacob may have gotten the, the birthright and the blessing, but because of his brother's murderous threat, he leaves home with absolutely nothing. The Bible doesn't say, but he may not even have servants with him. We know he has nothing of real value because when he gets to his uncle Laban's house, all he has is his own labor to offer. In this poor estate, God declares to him, I will give you the land on which you lie. As far as you can see, essentially, is what he's saying. Friends, we spend so much of our effort trying to get for ourselves what we want. Jacob tried to get what he wanted through lies and deceit. But here God is declaring to Jacob that that God owns everything, including the land on which Jacob sleeps. There's something happening here. Jacob thought he had to get it by trickery, by force, by, by his own effort accumulating to himself the wealth of his father. And God's declaring to Jacob, brother, I own not just your father's wealth. I own everything that there is. I give and I take away. The things Jacob wants will not be had because he was sneaky enough to get them. He won't attain them because he was crafty enough to outsmart smart his brother or his father. Whatever Jacob will receive will be because God who owns everything will give it. To him. He will possess the land because God gave him the land, because all things are the, Lord, the Lord's. And so we understand with that, not only does God own everything, but God provides what He promises. God promised, God's promise to Jacob is a fulfillment to the, of the promise that He had made to Abraham and that He had made to Isaac. And you may remember that when Abraham and his wife were very old and well past childbearing age and had no children of their own, God promised to make Abraham the father of many nations. So God made an amazing promise in a ridiculous situation. Abraham was old, his wife was old, and God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of nations upon nations upon nations. Now before you can be a father of nations, you first have to be a father of one. And that had yet come to, true, come to be true for Abraham, and it by all the worldly uh, uh, assumptions, it was not going to become true. This seemed impossible then, but God gave them a son, Isaac, who was Jacob's father. And as God affirms his promise to Jacob, he is also fulfilling the promise that he had made to Abraham. And here's the point I want you to hear. God will provide for what he promises, no matter how impossible it may seem. It may seem that weak, feckless, scheming Jacob was unlikely to make the journey to Laban's house or become much of a man. I mean, his own father, Isaac, thought if there's anyone who's going to carry on the family name, surely it's Esau, not Jacob. It may seem that Jacob was an unlikely candidate to be used so greatly by God. And it may seem that Jacob was an, an, a, a, a weak person that would ever become a patriarch of nations upon nations upon nations. But friends, it's not about Jacob. This issue is about God. God was faithful to fulfill his promise to Abraham to give him a son, Isaac. God was faithful to Isaac to fulfill his promise to rebecca even against isaac's wishes and god will be faithful to jacob to provide for what he promised god was 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 being faithful still to abraham isaac and now jacob god's promise to bless all the families of the earth through them would not be hindered god would fulfill every promise because god provides for what he promises friends when we think about the provisions of God the provisions of God are sure the provisions of God are sure he owns everything therefore he can give what he needs and his promises are sure in other words he provides for his promises always according to his will his might and his ownership but one other thing I want you to see here and that is that God is in control Now, I don't know this to be true. Jacob doesn't say this out loud. The Bible doesn't record it. But I'm guessing that at this moment in Jacob's life, it looked like everything had had, had spun out of control and gone amiss. You ever get so frustrated you just want to quit? Oh, I hear a little rumbling. So, So I hear some identifying out there. Just, you've been trying. You've been given a lot of effort, and it's just not working. So you just want to quit. Forget it then, is what what I say. I think that's where Jacob is. I think he feels like everything that he was trying for and, and angling for and skimming for is all falling apart. He got what he wanted, but not what he hoped for. Sleeping on a rock, I mean, that's pretty low. But in this moment, as he slept through the night, God gave him a vision. God spoke to him the promises that he had given to Abraham and his father Isaac. God wanted him to know that he was still in control. Now, a couple of things here. God is in control of your present. In verse 15, God promised that um, that, that he was present with Jacob and would keep him wherever he went. Now, Jacob may have felt like his life was out of control and Jacob may have felt like he was on his own. But God declared that wherever he was, he was under the care and the control of God. So at home, you're under the control of God. Out in the middle of nowhere, you're under the control of God. And even when you go to your uncle's house, you're still under the control of God. Circumstances and consequences can sometimes make you feel like God is not present and God is not in control. And I imagine that, that, when, that when Jacob lay down on a rock for a pillow, it must have felt like that he was all alone and that God had abandoned him. But God gives Jacob the vision and speaks to him clearly that he would know that right where he was at that very moment, God was still sovereign, God was still in control. Now, here's the truth the particulars the details of your situation right now may be terribly disheartening the details of your situation may be full of consequences because of sin and rebellion may may be consequences of your own sin they may even be consequences of somebody else's sin that you are having to bear No matter what the details of your present situation are, the truth is God is present and he is still in control. He's not abandoned. He's not forgotten. You're present. Right now, God is in control. But there's even a better word than this, and that is God is also in control of your future. The irony here is that Jacob and his mother had been trying to control the future events for all of Jacob's life. Every time that we hear any uh, report, of the Bible's report of Jacob and his mom, they're scheming. They're trying to manipulate and control the, their future outcome of Jacob's life. But for all of their efforts, they, all they manage to do is make a mess and create all kinds of dysfunction in their family. For all their e- efforts, Jacob uh, is now more uncertain about his future than ever before. He never met his uncle. He doesn't know what kind of man he is, and he doesn't know what, what, what his life will be like in his home. We've already said that Jacob lived a very uh, comfortable and sheltered life, and now he's afraid for his safety. He, you know, you think Esau was the man, the outdoorsman. Esau would have been very comfortable sleeping out in the open. Jacob had probably never slept a night out in the open in his life, and here he is, afraid and alone. He doesn't know what tomorrow will bring or if he'll ever return home. And to these fears, God speaks these words in verse 15. Listen to what God says. God says, I will bring you back to this land. He doesn't say when, and he doesn't say how, but he makes the promise, I will bring you back to this land. Now, the point of this promise is simple. God is saying, Jacob, you have no clue what tomorrow holds, but I do. Jacob, you have no knowledge of what your life will be like in the next moment, the next day, in the next year, but I do. I'm in control of your present and, dear brother, I am in control of the future as well. Like the old song declares, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. Our God, who is in control of all things, who owns all things, provides for all things, is in control of our present and is in control of our future. He holds tomorrow in his hands and is providing for us even now before we know we know it. Dear friends, there is a great peace in knowing that God is in control of your present and your future. When we talk about promises, a promise is only as powerful as the one who is making the promise. When Thomas Jefferson was thinking about and preparing for the, the core of discovery that was going to it was going to, to go from the 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 um, the east coast all the way to the west coast and chart and explore the land that Jefferson had purchased in the in the Louisiana Purchase, they had no clue what was out there. They, they were hoping to find a, a, a water route that would connect the two coasts, but they had no clue. And so he had, he had selected Meriwether Lewis to, to lead the Corps of Discovery, and he and his group are going to travel by boat and by foot all the way across the continental United States of America and they 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 provided for meriwether lewis with all kinds of training and education he had to be a botanist and And he had to be able to identify the flora and the fauna and and all kinds of stuff and be able to map things And he had to learn a lot before he went But the big issue that they could not figure out or they had to figure out a solution to is when they made it all the way to the Pacific Coast How in the world would they get back home? There's no Delta Airlines to call to fly you home there's no Amtrak to, to drive you home. There's not even a road to, to walk back on. And so uh, they had two options. They could walk back. But the more desirous option was to find a European, a European trading ship and to get passage on that ship to sail them back to the United States, which at that time was only on the, um, the East Coast. But their problem was, by the time they made it, all the way to the Pacific Ocean, their supplies would be exhausted, their clothes would be worn out, and they would have no money. They could not carry enough of provisions to be able to afford to pay for the trip back. So how do you provide for your, your men that far away um, and that long of a distance? Well, the, the provision that President Thomas Jefferson came up with was he wrote a letter to, on behalf of Meriwether Lewis that he carried that essentially said the United States of America will pay for anything this man charges. Now, that's a pretty sweet credit card, isn't it? In fact, I want to read to you what Jefferson wrote. He, this is the letter. Uh, he, uh, he wrote, To help ensure that those to whom Lewis might uh, present the letter uh, w- would give aid, the president wrote these words. I also ask that the consuls, agents, merchants, and citizens of any nation to furnish you with those supplies which your necessities may call for and to give more entire satisfaction and confidence to those who may be disposed to aid you. I, Thomas Jefferson, President of the United States of America, have written this letter of general credit for you with my own hand and signed it with my name. Remarking on this amazing and unlimited line of credit, Stephen Ambrose in his in his book about the um, the core of discoveries wrote this this sentence, one paragraph one sentence paragraph he simply wrote, in its final version, dated July the fourth, eighteen oh three, this must be the most unlimited letter of credit ever issued by any American president. It's a pretty powerful piece of paper. Meriwether Lewis began a a two-and-a-half-year, 8,000-mile journey with no map, no concrete plan for how to return home. He left the comforts and niceties and safety of home, knowing that when he and his men uh, reached the Pacific Ocean, they would be out of supplies, their clothes would be worn out, and they would have no money. And the only thing that would provide for him in that moment would be a letter signed by Thomas Jefferson promising to pay anything that he needed. And he left confident, confident that that letter would provide for him. A promise is only as powerful as the one who is making it. Now, if you can get a letter from the United States president that says that the United States government will pay for anything you want, that's a pretty sweet letter indeed. If I write you such a letter, you have absolutely nothing. You can show that letter to anybody you want to, and they'll say, who is Ben Smith, and why do I care if he, you know, can he really pay for it? Dear friends, as great and as unlimited of a promise that Meriwether Lewis had from the president, the promises of God are greater still. We have our confidence not in the power or wealth of men, but in the power and might of God, who has and will forever be faithful to keep every promise he has ever made. To Jacob, he says, you're not alone. To Jacob, he says, I will provide. To Jacob, he says, I am in control. And dear friends, I think to you and me today, he says, you are not alone, I will provide. And I am in control. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 10.30 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment, all for the King and all for the Kingdom.